Listen Up is the new book by my guest, Grammy Award-winning producer Mark Howard, an album-by-album account of working with iconic artists like Anthony Kiedis, Michael Stipe, Gord Downey, and Bono. The book is a backstage pass into the lives of some of the planet's most iconic musicians. Welcome. Uh, Thank you. So, born in England. Yep. Grew up in Hamilton, Ontario. Yep. And... How did you get interested in music? Was it just something that was always around you, or did you seek it out? Because Hamilton's a good music town. It is a good music town, and uh, I, was, I was like nine years old, and the phone rings, and uh, it's the Ontario Conservatory of Music, and they do this program where they come to your house to test you to see if you have any musical ability. <laughs> and so uh, so uh, um, they said, would you like to play an instrument? And I said, oh, I'd love to love to play drums. And so they said, well, we'll send somebody out. And they show up and they got an accordion there. And like, <laughs> they see if you're capable of playing the accordion. And they give you like Baba Black Sheep or yeah. something like that to play. And uh, I I ended up taking drum lessons from them. And, uh, and that kind of started my little career. And I, then I got a drum set and you know, drums in the bedroom, and then and you move to the basement. <laughs> drums are perfect for, like, teenage boys, too, because you just want to get your yayas yeah, out. You yeah. want to bang away at My something. My parents hated me. <laughs> <laughs> and the neighbors probably, too. Yeah, yeah if you ever want to like, piss off your parents, yeah. <laughs> drum. Yeah, be a drummer. I was a drummer. Okay. I understand. <laughs> I understand the drumming. Right. And, and so from there, you know, you played drums and that, and then you started working for uh, King Biscuit Boy, doing sound and yep. that kind of thing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that because I'm fascinated by these Canadian artists that would tour the country relentlessly, like Crowbar in the early, yep. like around those days, Crowbar, King Biscuit Boy, those bands. And, you know, it's a tough country to cover. It's so big. Gigs are far apart. Yep. You know, you're lo- you don't get paid half the time. So tell yep. me a little bit about being on the road in those days. Well, that's exactly what it was. Uh, when I worked with Richard uh, King Biscuit Boy, um, we were on. We I took the tour, and it was like from uh, right across Canada. So the the first gig was in Vancouver. So we had to drive seven guys and a dog <laughs> in a cube van full of PA lighting stage gear, and all the way from Hamilton to Vancouver to do the first gig. Wow! And it was like chasing the carrot. We didn't have enough money, and they kept on sending us money for gas along the way. And uh, and I went to go pick up Richard, uh, and you know I'm in a cube van, and it's full. You know we got to fit all everybody yeah. inside. So I, I laid all the gear out in the back so that you could everybody could lay down and sit down. And he says, "I'm not going unless I can take my couch." And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? I was like, he needed this armchair that he wanted to sit in. So I had to unload the whole truck, bring this cat armchair in, and so he could sit in it the whole time. And Richard was, he was a character and a half for sure. And so, yeah, so we, we got out there on the road and uh, we took this guy, Zark, from, um, from Buffalo. He was a drummer. And he brang a gun with him. I'd never seen a gun before. I was like, he's got this gun and he's from Buffalo. I'm like, oh my God. And he has to bring his dog, right? So he's got seven guys, a dog and a cube van. And an armchair and a and gun. A, yeah, and a gun. <laughs> and we're going, you know, out west, you know, like to, uh, to our first gig in Vancouver. And, you know, the trouble you can get in, like uh, Richard was, uh, he, he liked uh, the booze, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so... Uh, 
he would get pretty smashed at a, a lot of uh, events and stuff like that. But he was an amazing harmonica player. Like yeah. the man, you know, I didn't find out until years later that um, he made a, a record in New Orleans with the Meters. Wow. And the Meters was his backup band. And wow. uh, so it was like, wow. How that's the real deal stuff that, right there. Yeah. That is that is the real deal for yeah. sure, like as far as grooves go. Yeah. So yeah, so we ended up right across Canada, got to Vancouver, and uh, first first gig there is uh, with Dutch Mason and wow. and Biscuit and uh, and you know like before the show they're just filling them with drinks, and then next thing you know he's on stage, and then he just like goes to play his harmonica and he falls straight back into his amp, and he's like. Oh, he's out. <laughs> and then he crawls back up and then he gets the harmonica and plays the harmonica through his nose. And, you know, he's just smashed out of his mind. And I'm like, oh, what did I sign up for? Yeah. And, and, and well, it's probably the first but not the last bit of bad behavior yes, that you it, witnessed at the hands uh, of the musicians it, you were working for. You know what? It, it, it really impacted me heavily because um, I'm a non-drinker. I've never drank alcohol. Ever? Ever. Because of those events that happened that were right. sh quite shocking. And, you know, when I'm around drunk people, I don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the beginning of, of like, because you don't know how to handle a drunk person, right? Yeah. And you, it's like a certain, you know, like they're just, you know. Unpredictable. Out, yeah, yeah, unpredictable and out of control. And so, you know, like we'd be at a, a dinner and, you know, uh, Richard would get smashed and then he'd crawl across the table and then grab the spaghetti and put it on his head. And it was like, I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> and then, you know, we're out there in the van and the the dog's with us, right? And so then the dog, you know, Zark feeds the dog these clams and the dog gets sick and it's like, you know. Yep, yep. Everywhere and it's the <laughs> smell it was just like oh it was like anyways yeah so it was like adventures on the road <laughs> it was crazy. I'm speaking with Mark Howard. His new book is called Listen Up: Recording and check out this list of names. Recording music with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, U2, REM, The Tragically Hit, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tom Waits. It goes on. Uh, there's lots of stories to be told. Do you think that there is any uh, connection? or any difference between the behavior of big-time acts or not-so-big-time acts in terms of misbehavior? Um, Does money change it for them? Uh, it's, 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 you know, like the, the older people like Neil and Bob, you know, like their behavior. It, it's an interesting thing because they, they were just, they just let you do what you do, you right. know? Like they love what it, how it sounds and it's like, but where uh, younger people are more kind of like, you know, they get a little more, you know, spunk in them, and they're like, "Well, we want to do this, we want to do that." It's like, like, okay, well, you know, that's not the way it works. It it, it always struck me in the albums that you worked on with Bob Dylan, kind of they're so they sound so beautiful, but there's kind of like a, I don't know if this is the right word, but sort of a murkiness to the sound. There's a depth to the sound that yeah. I love on those records. Right. And uh, like beyond here lies nothing. You were, yeah. that was one of yours, right? Uh, um, no, 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 no. I don't think so. That's a Dylan song. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I don't. That wasn't on right. uh, Time Out of Mind or uh, Oh Mercy. Uh, but they, but there's a there's a there's a, a beautiful sound to them to the stuff that you captured for him uh, that I, I think just comes from uh, capturing. What's yeah. it happening in front of you? That's what really what the job is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's about uh, um, getting those performances out of those people, yeah. especially with Dylan and Neil and those 
that where they're they just they'll just do it once. Yeah, and and that's <laughs> yeah, that's one it. If you don't it, yeah. get it, then so you ha- you have to be really prepared. Like yeah. you know, like uh, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, way of of working. And the the murkiness that you're talking about is, um, I work in a specific way with with these people where. You know, when you usually go in a recording studio, everybody's isolated and, you know, you're a glass booth. I got everybody in the room. Sometimes there's 15 people in a room all at the same time and everybody's playing. And, you know, like in, especially with Dylan where every take is in a different key. Right. So then, you know, it's like if you know what about changing keys, it's like it's like learning the song over again. So and it's like, OK, let's do another take and we're in key of A. And it's like, right. oh, and so everybody's like missing the chords and not knowing where to, where the changes are and stuff like that. So, um so yeah, so it can be tricky, but uh, the murkiness becomes uh, because everybody's bleeding to everybody else's mics, and I've become like an expert on this kind of like how to how to treat this and how to make it cool. Because you know, like it's it's amazing because a lot of the drum sounds that you that are on there they sound a certain way because you're hearing him through his vocal mic. Right, or through a guitar mic yeah. or something right. like that. Yeah, 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 And then I got an echo on his voice, right? right? So that echo is now on the drums. Yeah. You know? So it's this kind of like, and it all kind of blends into this big soup. So it's a... Uh, it's kind of your kind of wall of sound. Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. Now, you're a motorcycle enthusiast, and so you're you're across the country with, with King Biscuit Boy, and then you have a motorcycle accident at some point, and you're unable to lift gear anymore. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And, and so that pushes you in a different way. Instead of saying, all right, I'm going to go become a school teacher, right. you said, I love music, I'm going to stay in music, and you did. Yeah. You just yep. shifted gears. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, off, uh, I came back for, off of a tour, and I was back for the weekend, and we were supposed to go back out on the Monday, and uh, it was raining, and I was on my uh, 1971 Norton 750, beautiful <laughs> British bike, yeah. and uh, sure enough, I'm just driving down Barton Street, and a car pulled right in front of me, and I couldn't stop, and I skidded right into it. It was a really bizarre thing. I, my bike went right into the front of it. I flipped over backwards over the car and landed on my feet. It was like a like, like a, you couldn't like plan a cat, that, yeah. you know. <laughs> like it was like, and I'm like standing there, like how am I standing here, you know? Like, but I think the shock of me landing and stuff like that, like just kind of like threw my back out, yep. and and so like I was tense, you know. So uh, yeah, so I, that that led me to I couldn't you know go to work. So what do I do? Uh, so I went to Grand Avenue Studio and. I said, uh, "Can I get a job here making coffee?" So I, I was going to, you know, looking at uh, going back to school or looking at whatever. But there was this incentive program that the Canadian government offered at the time, where they would pay half your wage. And so uh, I signed. And this is twice now that the government has kind of swooped in and yep. put you on the path, the path towards working a rock yeah, and roll. The, man, the government here is amazing. <laughs> I, can, I can't knock it. But anyways, yeah, they pay half your wage, and so I walked in the door, and I thought maybe that's kind of like an easier ticket for them to kind of swallow. And right. So um, the the studio was owned by Bob Deutsch at the time. Right. Uh, Daniel Lamois owned it before that, him and his brother Bob. And so he went off to make records with you too, and then they sold the studio to his best friend Bob. Um, so I walked in the door, and I, I, I met with Maureen, who was Bob's wife, and she ran the office. And I said, look, uh, uh, the government's offering to pay half my wage, and and uh, would you be interested in taking me on as like a, an assistant? And 
and uh, so I, I, so they said yes, no, wow. no, no, right away, bang, <laughs> I'm, I'm in there, and you know they show me how to make coffee and all yeah. this stuff. So, so I mastered the coffee machine right away. That's important. And uh, my first job was just like uh, Bob said, you know, I have all these headphones here. I don't know, they none of them work. And I and I said, well, let me have a look at them. And so I took him into the repair shop, and it was just broken wires. And I soldered it all back together. And he, I said, okay, here's eight pairs of headphones. He goes, how do you do that? And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just kind of technical. And, I'm magic, Bob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it ended up, you know, like uh, within six weeks, I was the head engineer at, uh, doing night sessions. Yeah. Bob liked to do nine to five, and it was like a nice day job for him. And he said, you do all the night sessions. So I was like doing syndicated radio shows. There's right. one show called TNT, Canada's Top Country Hits, and right. stuff like that. And it's all on the fly. And so like there's you know radio here, yeah. and I was like, you got to you can't make mistakes, or you got to start again. Yep. You know, like yep. it, it's a it's a crazy thing. So yeah, so that I was like within you know six weeks, I'm kind of running the show there, and and uh, and then next thing you know, um, they put me on this uh, session with Daniel Lanois, yeah. and so I didn't know who he was. And, uh, you know, I knew who you 2 was, and so they said, you know, that he owned the studio, and so I was pretty kind of green and didn't know who he was and stuff like that. So he comes in, and he's working on a solo record. Is this Acadie? This would have been Acadie, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so he comes in, and he's trying to stump me all the time, uh, like, you know, okay, we're, uh, we're going to do a guitar now and put it on Channel 12. I said, okay, it's there. Uh, go ahead right now. And he's like, what? It's done? Uh, yeah, yeah, I patched it. He goes, how'd you know? I was like, well, I heard you guys talking about doing a guitar part, so I, I prepared for it. And yeah. like, wow. So, it was, so I was always one step ahead of him. So, uh, so you know, within a cu couple of weeks, I get a phone call from him saying, hey, uh, would you mind, would you want to come down to New Orleans with me and help me with a record down there? And I said, yeah, yeah, for sure, uh, I think. And so I told Bob, the owner of the studio, I said, I'm, I'm going to go work for, for Daniel Lanois in New Orleans. He said, well, if you leave, your job's not going to be here when you come back. And it was only supposed to be for six weeks. Mm. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to take the chance. You know, this okay. might be a, a good ticket for me. And so, uh, so yeah, so, the, you know, I ended up, uh, I flew to New Orleans and uh, it was a, with a band called the Neville Brothers. And uh, I, I was, and I kept on getting confused, and I was telling my friends, "Yeah, it's the Everly Brothers." Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it wasn't. I'd never heard of the Neville Brothers, you know. Like, and and what record was that? Because Aaron, was, yeah, it was Yellow Moon. Yellow Moon, and yeah. that is a beautiful record. Yeah, that is a gorgeous record. So yeah, so so it was the Yellow Moon record. So, you know, those six weeks turned into, uh, you know. 30 years of work. I know. It's un unbelievable. The, 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 had you said no to that? Yeah, exactly. Who knows if we'd be sitting here today talking about the book, Listen Up, recording music with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, U2, REM, and more uh, by my guest, Mark Howard. So you strike me, and and I'll phrase this carefully, as a little bit naive in, in, in those days in terms of like you don't know who Dan Lanois is, yep. you don't really know who the Neville nope. brothers are. Uh, do you think that that gave you um, a, a bit of an advantage because you weren't intimidated by them? I mean, the Neville yep. brothers, that record is legendary, but they were legendary already. I oh, mean, yeah. Aaron yep. Neville has the voice of an angel oh, and, yeah. and the, their band was one of the great bands to come out of New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, were, they were really the meters, you yeah. know, in the early days, you know. Uh, yep. Cyril and Art were members of the meters. But, yeah, it was uh, it, it was an education in itself, yeah. you know, like because, you know, I came from Hamilton and, 
you know, I'm I'm a drummer and I'm you know, I'm this white you know square drummer. <laughs> boom, da, boom, da, boom, da. And then you get to New Orleans and you see this groove and it's yeah. like the the guy's foot and the hi hat feel and it's like it's just so swampy and silky. Yeah. It's like it's like so yeah. So I feel like I got my rhythm education from there and it made it very hard for me to make records later on in life. You know, working with these kind of drummers and that kind of feel. And, you know, and then you know I went on to make uh, produce a record for the Tragically Hip. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, they're a rock band. Yeah. And so. Uh, I made a record called uh, Day for Night, and yeah. um, so it's one of their darkest records, but I, it had a lot of influence from New Orleans for me working there and, and uh, working um, with with the Johnny, the drummer, and, and we were trying different techniques, and I was treating the drums, and so he was really excited about kind of like this new kind of path for drums. It wasn't just kind of like the straight groove, and, yeah, yeah. and so I got him involved with Brian Blade, and they would play together, and and you should see how interaction between, you know, when you're working with somebody on a whole different level, how much you rise to their level. And Raises the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it really uh, was educational all the way around. Now, we've only got a, a couple of seconds left in this uh, in, in this segment. But studios, and I teased this earlier, a studio is a studio is a studio, except it's not really, right? What What makes it magic? Is it the musicians or is it the room? Um, or the uh, producer. It's it's well, it's a combination of everything, really. But uh, <clears throat> the way I work is, uh, I I don't work in studios because of you know time limits and budgets these days. And even back there, back then in the eighties, you know, like uh, you know, there was be, I was I just caught the tail end of all the big budgets. Yeah. And so, uh, but we still. Uh, you know, the Neville Brothers Yellow Moon record, uh, you know, I flew to New Orleans to work with Lamois, and suddenly he says, you know, I'm leaving for uh, England tomorrow to go work with Brian Eno, and so I want, I want you to find a place to make the record. I want you to set up the studio. I want you to buy a car, get in a, a bank account, and, you know, like, and so he gave me all these jobs, and I don't have no computers back then. Right. I had a telephone. And so I had to, like, be a real estate agent. I had to be a banker. I had to be, you know. And Dan Lamois just said, do everything. We've got money. Spend some. Yeah. Get yep. a place to live, buy cars, do all that sort of thing. I imagine that doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, it, 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 no, it doesn't. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but I think it, it was kind of, uh, you know, I was 21 years old, you know, in a city that I've never been to. Yeah. And so it was a, a culture shock for yeah. sure. But, you know, I think because I was like uh, uh, kind of like focused on what I was doing, it really helped keep my mind off all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I had to find a building to make uh, the record with the Neville Brothers in. And I rented a, um, a five-story apartment building for $1,500 a month. Wow. <laughs> and it was, it was on St. Charles Avenue right next to the Collins Hotel. It was a prestigious kind of antebellum mansion yeah. and... And so we made the record on the second floor. Dan lived on the third floor, and <laughs> you know I, I lived on the, in the studio. And and in those days, I I had lived on the floor on a on a futon. Yeah. And uh, I was really freaked out by cockroaches in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah, so, they're big. Uh, they're so, big down there, and they so, fly. <laughs> yeah. So somebody had told me, you know, like if you take boric acid, powdered boric acid, put it around, circle around your bed, then. Um, the, the cockroaches won't come on you while you're right. sleeping. I was like, okay, well, I went and got that right <laughs> away. Put this circle around my bed, and sure enough, the cockroaches didn't go on it. Really? But then 
the housekeeper, uh, Miss Alberta, she wouldn't go in my room. She was like, she uh, thought it was some kind of voodoo ritual. Uh, I was like, doing. like you were going to light something on yeah, fire yeah, and start. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you make this, and then you're working with Brian Eno, and yeah. and so he's a producer as well. I'm sure that he has a much different way of working than the Neville brothers. Yeah. So, what are you learning? along uh, this process. So this is this is where I got a lot of my sound from just kind of start starting to work with him and seeing his his um abstract way of kind of recording and uh his the way of thinking. Yeah. Like uh like he won't say just you know go put a microphone on the piano we're going to do piano. You know go put the piano uh, put the uh the microphone upstairs and we'll record it the distance right. to get this kind of like depth, you know, like this murky quality. Or he'll take a piano sound and we'll lift it out of the stereo mix and we'll send it to a bunch of effects. So you're only hearing the reverb of it or th or the reverb through an echo. And so suddenly you've got this whole other sound, which it's like you'd never think of doing something right. like that. Or he's got, you know, crazy ideas where we need a melody. So he'll take the two inch tape turn it upside down, and you play it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly, suddenly, melodies come out of, you know, like, oh, let's use that melody. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so it was, it was, it was like. So it opens your mind. So, it opens I mean, your this mind, was yeah. much different than King Biscuit Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you start off working blues. in the blues, yeah. and, and you're, now you're, no. you're running tapes backwards with yeah. Brian Eno. Exactly. Yeah. And so Brian is the master of uh, what's called the Yamaha DX7 mm -hmm. keyboard. And so he, he go, gets into the algorithms and creates all these kind of ambient sounds in there. And he had, just happened to have this one sound that was kind of like an insect noise. And so it was kind of like a kind of a chirping, kind of like weird ambient. And so I had the windows open at the studio. And in New Orleans is these bugs called cicadas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that sound. Yeah, yeah. And so he would play this melody. <laughs> and then we, he'd stop. And then the, the cicadas outside would go. <laughs> and like, I go, did you hear that? He goes, yeah. I said, try a different melody. See what happens. He tries another one. And these bu bugs follow this melody. So he's communicating with these insects, these right? bugs are singing. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, my God. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so this is a journey. I mean, you're, you're working with Dan Lanois on this. And and you say 30 years. Well, you worked with him for a couple of decades. Right? It was yeah, 23 yeah, years yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and so uh, let's just, like, run through. Let's rip through some of these names here. So Bob Dylan. So you're working with Bob Dylan. Again, could not be any more different than working with Brian Eno, I would imagine. It's, it's a little uh, different. Uh, yeah, so tell me about the vibe working with uh, with Bob Dylan. I'm speaking with Mark Howard, by the way, whose book is called Listen Up. So tell me about working with Bob Dylan. You say he likes to do things once. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and has an idea of what he wants, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, okay, so he doesn't write, he writes his songs on like a typewriter. So he doesn't know which key the song's going to be in, he doesn't know how it's right. going to sing and whatever, because these are just words on a paper. Right. And so when he when we first started working with him uh, on a record called Oh Mercy, he just showed up with a piece of paper and there was words all over the piece of paper. It wasn't anything. It was just like upside down, sideways. <laughs> like so, it was just like a, a, a you know a, yeah, a mishmash, a mishmash yeah. of, of it. And so he just he's pulling words from this pay, pay, paper and it's like a, it's it's a 
kind of brilliant. You, yeah, so you're watching the creative you're watching process. This, yeah. like you're a, watching Bob Dylan write yeah, a song. Exactly. Mind so, blown. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he's, he's pulling all these words from, from uh, this piece of paper, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And then and then other times he's got the, the song in his mind, you know, like the guy is, you know, he's written how many songs, yeah. and he's like, how could you remember all of these songs in your head? But he just manages to pull it off. But so he's, he's written the song, and so suddenly you got to – play it and then so each each time he'll try it in in uh, key of C and oh just try it in A and right. so he's just looking for the best spot where his voice feels more comfortable and so it's an interesting um, uh, way of working because I, I haven't really seen anybody else work like that since yeah and so so yeah so he's interesting that way and you know I I, I got my um, English education from him. You know, I, I left school when I was, you know, 15 and yeah, yeah. grade 9. I didn't even finish grade 9. And so, uh, so yeah, so here I am. And so my job is I'm sitting at the console and I have to write out his lyrics because right. there are no lyrics, right. not like written out. So I, I had this technique where I would write the first word and the last word. And then and just every time I hear it, I just scribble in there. Right. So he ended up, you know, you know, looking over my shoulder half the time at his lyrics. And, and we were like, you know, he said, oh, what did I have for the second verse? And That's and, a and, wild story. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, did it feel like, I, and I don't know, you know, I, I, I interview famous people for a living. It's one of the things that I do. And, and I have, uh, I don't get starstruck really. I don't, every now and again though, you're in a situation where you realize that something really uh, interesting is happening. Was that one of those for you that you're like Bob Dylan's <coughs> looking over your shoulder as you're writing his lyrics yeah. as it's all happening? Yeah, it, it was um, like you said, um, I wasn't starstruck. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because, um, so yeah, so Daniel Lamois got the offer to make a record with him. And so he came to me and he says, oh, I, I have two offers on the table. I can make a record with David Bowie or or Bob Dylan. Who do you think I should work with? I said, Bob Dylan, what yeah. are you talking about? And it's funny because, you know, I wasn't a big Bob Dylan fan growing up. Right. Like, you know, I was more Led Zeppelin and, and, and those kind of bands. So, uh, but I knew Dylan was like lyric lyrically the master and yeah. he was the top. The voice of a generation, yeah. yeah. And I loved D- David Bowie and, and I listened to all, you know, pinups and, yeah. you know, fame and all those great songs. And so... So yeah, so uh, he decided, okay, let's do the Dylan record, and yeah. so it was, it was, it was really exciting. We have to talk about Tom Waits a little bit. I loved uh, the chapter about Tom Waits in the book, because it, Tom Waits, uh, you know, even though I always think of him as being this sort of like jazz hipster vagabond, he's a homebody, right? He wants to live on his farm with his wife and his kids, and 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 uh, he makes these crazy little demos on a cassette recorder and every number of years comes out to make a record, but he doesn't want to go anywhere to make the record. So you have to come in and and find a place to record it, build a studio, you know, a mile from his house and, and go from there. So tell me a little bit about working with Tom Waits. Um I got the Tom Waits record by uh, – I made a record by uh, uh, Lucinda Williams. I had produced her record. Yeah. And, and so uh, Tom signed to a, a record label, uh, Anti, and uh, it was Andy at Anti who kind of uh, loved the Lucinda record. And he called me up and he said, uh, I think you'd be great to make a record with Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I mean with uh, Tom, Waits. Tom Waits. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. That would be great. And he says, well, uh, Tom's going to call you. And so uh, so I'm waiting for Tom's call and – 
a year goes by. <laughs> I haven't heard from Tom. See, I, now this does not yeah, surprise me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and so suddenly, you know, I get this call. And it's like, hey, Mark, it's Tom. I'm like, hey, Tom, how's it going? <laughs> and uh, so he goes, uh, do you think you could make a record for me? Uh, you know, I know you're a producer, but uh, I just need somebody to record and mix my record. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, I do this all the time. Yeah. And so, like he said, he said, all right. And so so I, I ended up going up to visit him and uh you know, I'm I'm waiting for him to, to to meet me in this little town called Valley Ford, in Northern California, Northern right, California, yeah. outside Petaluma, and um, so I'm expecting him to pull up in like this old like 1940s pickup truck yeah. or something like rustic, right? And so waiting there, and he doesn't show up, and then suddenly this you know Audi pulls up, and <laughs> and like this woman gets out and goes in the store, and oh, well, that's not him, and then she comes out of the store and she goes, "Are you Mark?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, Tom wants to talk to you. And so I've been sitting on this bench in front of this old general <laughs> store, and this, this car is parked right in front of me. And then the window rolls down. <laughs> hey, Mark, it's Tom. <laughs> like, hey, Tom. <laughs> and so th they wanted to show me this, this little schoolhouse that was at the end of their kind of like uh, uh, driveway, really. Yeah. And so... Um, so I see it, and it's 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 amazing. It's just like a standalone schoolhouse, and it's just like a probably like a one room schoolhouse. It's a from one years room ago. schoolhouse. It's got a boys' bathroom, a girls' bathroom, and that's it. Yeah. And so I said, yeah, why? Well, you know, because he had to drive two and a half hours every day to go to a studio anywhere close to him, right. and he he didn't want to like go to L.A. and make a record there. So I said, yeah, I could definitely, you know, we could definitely do it. And I said. Why don't you come to L.A. and uh, have a look at the place where I'm working? And at the time, I was working in this uh, 1940s uh, movie star estate, and it was like they had this big, huge, grand ballroom. And uh, so he came up there, and he said he'd been working on these songs, and he said, and he brought this four-track cassette. And uh, so he said. He, but he couldn't listen to it because it wasn't on a CD or there's no way for him to, because it was all, the only way he had to listen to it off this kind of four-track right. set. So I said, I'll, I'll transfer all these songs off of it onto a CD for you and you can listen in your car, right? And so he said, yeah. So he came to L.A., him and his wife, and they saw the Paramore and it was just like this lush, beautiful mansion and yeah. like, like we're right in Silver Lake, <laughs> four and a half acres, private, gated, you know, like... Wow. like uh, so so he comes in and so I play this four track cassette and it's he's gone in his bathroom at home and he's and he's making these mouth rhythms like mm, ah, mm, ah. <laughs> and then he's like got like a pan tong, yeah. hitting a pan in in the bathroom reverbing and it sounded amazing yeah. to me like wow these are crazy <laughs> and so he goes I want to use these and I said uh, I said okay well you know when we, we get into the studio we'll re-record re them so that like they're high quality sounds yeah, yeah. and, and uh, so so sure enough so my room was exactly the same size as this schoolhouse. Right. And so I just kind of uplifted all my gear. All my stuff's portable. It's right. all in road cases. And so I just went and rented a truck, rolled up the rugs, uh, couches, <laughs> lamps, bang. And I put it in a truck, drove it up there, set it up inside this schoolhouse, and we made his record in this little schoolhouse. And, and there's uh, stories in the book, Listen Up, Recording music with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, U2, etc. Uh, about a door slamming, and he's like, "Oh, I like that." Yeah, yeah so, record so, that door slam. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
So uh, we ended up doing uh, a lot of the recording in uh, in the girls' bathroom. Right. And so uh, so there's they had you know two wooden stall doors. And it's tile probably right. So it's it, got it, some nice echo it, to it. It, it yeah, was or, kind of yeah. It was it was a wood room, right. but it still you know it still had that kind of ambient open yeah. sound right. And so well, we had uh, the drummer in there, and I was recording the drummer in there like uh, with a snare drum. Just yeah, because it was ambient, but. I was recording everything through like a Sony blaster because it had these two microphones in it, like a little cassette blaster. Yeah. And I would just take the aux out, and every microphone I used uh, sounded kind of dry. But right. this, this when you record it through this blaster, it sounds exciting. The compressor, yeah. you know, it's like it's like super, you know, crazy. And then so so I'm got it plugged in. We're in the uh, in the schoolhouse, and I'm in the same room as them because I work in the same room. That's how I work. Uh, so, so, so he hears brain in the bathroom cause the microphone's still on. Yeah. And so he's taking a pee yeah. and we can hear it. It's like, and then he, you know, goes out and hears the stall door slam. Bang! And Tom goes, what was that? I go, that's a stall door. He goes, I want to use that. And I'm like, okay. And so uh, I go in and I say, uh, Hey brain, uh, on this take, play the stall door and just like just slam it like and be like boom yeah. and then with your other hand take this chunk of wood i got and slam the wall with it so bang slack <laughs> bang bang <laughs> yuck, bang and so you, that's the rhythm of the song you know wow. like so it, it became a um you know that the rhythm track and and there's a thing in the book here and i can't remember the quote and i don't know if i wrote it down uh but where he says uh when something's done he had all these weird little sayings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it, if it's done, it was came, um, comes out of the ground like a potato. Yeah. No, that, that track comes out like it uh, sounds like a, yeah, yeah. That, 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 you know, it's done, like it just came out of the earth. Yeah, what? yeah. So, so Tom, he can't explain things in technical terms. Right. You know? So if he, he wants to hear his vocal louder, he won't say turn it up. He'll say, put a little more hair on it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, here's the hair button. Let's, let's kind of tune that. Or, you know, like if, if, if the, the drums, like he goes, drums sound a little beige. I'm like, beige, beige is bad. Yeah. Well, well, let's, let's brighten him up. Let's do something like, you know. Like, uh, so everything was really tweaked on that record. And, and you worked on... Uh... All that you can leave behind for you too, and yeah. you describe them in the book as like working in a factory. Yeah, they they have a, a particular kind of crazy way they work, where um, especially in mixing, where they'll have somebody mix the the song in uh, England, and they'll have the same person mix the same song in in uh, L.A. and somebody in and another one in. In New York, and so they get all the mixes back from all these people, and they say, "Wow, the guy in L.A. has got a really great verse. Let's use that." And then the guy in in uh, New York, he's got amazing sounding choruses, and so so that's how I got mixes on on, wow. on the U2 record. Uh, all you can't leave behind. So they used used a bunch of my you know mixes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so I got credited. With the biggest band in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the way it's factory work, yeah, it's 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 like there's a lot of people in there, and it's it's um, all working all towards working. one goal, kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. you know, they 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 start their records with no songs, and they they go in there and and they they beat it out, and you know, it's it's it sounds like a garage, the worst garage band you ever heard in your life, and you think, oh my god, are you gonna get anything out of this? Uh. And then you know, one thing will just blossom out of it, and. And then bang, and 
Bono has no lyrics and he just kind of scats through it. Right. And he writes his words to to the to these scats. You yeah. Know? It's like later on, so he's pinning it and it's right till the very last second. You know, we got a master in an hour. Hang on, let me just punch me in for that last second verse. You know, like like bang. You know, okay, put it back in the mix. Okay, out it goes, and it's, it's stressful. You know. Well, like, wasn't the Paul McCartney or the Beatles song yesterday originally called Scrambled Eggs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, because exactly. it, it, the, the meter fit right. It's right. sort of that that fits. So then eventually they'll come up with the words, but the, the melody, I guess, comes yeah, first. And yeah, all yeah, that. yeah. So it's it's a it's a crazy operation for sure. I'm speaking with Mark Howard. The book is called Listen Up. Uh, it's an account of his time spent working with some of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, we've just got a minute. Is there one moment that you go, man, I'm so glad I'm here? <laughs> um, Can you think of one of those? Well, it, it's I, I would say it was uh, on the Bob Dylan's Time Out, uh, yeah. uh, time out of Mind record. Yeah. It, it just it. Uh, me and Bob, we had a certain connection with it, and uh, lyrically, and you know, he would say, oh, "I want to change that line." I go, "That's my favorite line in the song," and he'd say, "Okay, let's keep it." Wow. Where, where Daniel Lamois was said, "That's my favorite line." He said, oh, "Okay, let's go over that one." <laughs> <laughs> so you and Bob Dylan, yeah, making yep. the music. Listen, yep. this uh, has been so much fun. Thanks oh, so much for coming you. in and doing this. Uh, Mark Howard has been my guest. The book is called "Listen Up: Recording Music with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, You Too." It goes on and on and on. It's available uh, wherever fine books are sold. You can also find it on Amazon.ca, all those places that you legally can download and buy books. Uh, and it's a terrific. Read. It goes through uh, decades of making some of the, the greatest music of the last 30 years and uh, working with some of the biggest stars that music uh, has to offer. Really good stuff. Mark, thanks so uh, much. Thank you. Uh, my thanks to Andre on the board and most of all uh, for you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.